The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Straight cash, homie. Would you please break the damn story? He took it out. Oh, for you. Friday edition of PFTPM. Kind of a week eight preview as determined by the questions you ask and the ones I have the time to answer. Fortunately, I only see 49 responses to the tweet calling for questions. Now, there's a chance that half of those responses are from the at PFTPM Posse account answering the questions that have already been asked. These questions aren't directed to you, PFTPM Posse. These questions are supposed to be from you, or you're supposed to get the word out to the folks who would ask the questions. So let's see, shall we, as we unwrap the package and begin to answer whatever questions may be there. Let me start, though, with this, because the news of the afternoon is Patrick Mahomes won't play on Sunday night. I don't know why the Chiefs wouldn't just go ahead and list him as doubtful just to inject a little doubt into the minds of the Packers. The only reason to not do it is if the medical records generated this week are so overwhelmingly clear that he can't play that they would be lying and they would be in danger of being caught red-handed lying about the contents of the injury report. That's the only explanation that I can come up with for not just going ahead and making him doubtful. Because then the Packers would have to spend some time over the weekend worrying about whether or not they're going to see Patrick Mahomes or Matt Moore, two fundamentally different quarterbacks. So, no Mahomes, Matt Moore. And remember, the original timeline of this is three to six weeks with the caveat that no one knows for sure how long Mahomes is going to miss. I expect him to continue to practice, and we'll go through this again next week in advance of Kansas City's game against the Vikings, who looked good enough to win last night, and they moved the ball well. They just didn't score a lot of points. But if the Chiefs lose to the Packers, and they have other guys who are out this week, if they lose to the Packers, they're going to be 5-3, and three, and they're going to really need to win next weekend. They will have lost three in a row at home going into next weekend's visit from Kirk Cousins and company. The first question comes from PFT Live coordinating producer. And also, I don't know what his role is with PFTPM. He's kind of the producer, although he's never involved when we actually record the show. I won't say never because the joint PFTPM Chris Sims Unbuttoned podcast, the Mega Picks podcast we do every Thursday, I think he's involved in that some way, somehow. But anyway, Matt Casey says, what happens if Kirk Cousins wins Super Bowl MVP, but the Vikings lose the game? Will you cry? That is the very small donut hole that exists in the vow that I made yesterday during the Mega Picks podcast, the wanker episode of the PFTPM Chris Sims Unbuttoned Megapix podcast. I said that if Kirk Cousins wins the Super Bowl MVP award, I will get a Super Bowl MVP Kirk Cousins tattoo on my arm. 
So if he would win MVP, but the Vikings would lose, yeah, I would cry. Because that means I still got to get the freaking tattoo. It's only happened once. Chuck Howley, native of the same town I grew up in, Wheeling, West Virginia. Chuck Howley went to Warwood High School. He was the MVP of Super Bowl V. The Cowboys lost to the Colts on a last-second field goal. And there is a window. Now, I think that the voters for MVP can do an either-or. I was sitting there last year with Shereen Williams and John McClain. They're two of the voters for the MVP award in the Super Bowl. I think that they would avoid a situation where, for example, not that this is ever going to happen, but Kirk Cousins would throw a touchdown pass late. The Vikings take the lead. Kirk Cousins is the MVP. And then something happens to cause the Vikings to lose, which would be the ultimate Vikings outcome to the Super Bowl. I don't think that it's going to happen. But I would be quite distraught if I would be getting a Kirk Cousins Super Bowl MVP award and he's the quarterback, or tattoo rather, and he's the quarterback of the losing team. Question from PFTPM Posse. Boy, this is timely. Why don't you come up with something that's happened in the last year, PFTPM Posse? Why does Chris Mortensen think you're not a good person, as he said in the Mark Leibovich book, Big Game? Was it because you called out his BS Deflategate tweet? Yeah, I mean, I didn't, I mean, I called it out repeatedly. The whole 11 of 12 footballs were more than two pounds or nearly two pounds below the minimum air pressure of 12.5 PSI. Look, he just ran with the BS that was fed to him by the league office. And he played it. And I don't want to be overly cynical here, but I think he played it in the way that makes the league office forever indebted to him because he didn't, in his obvious anger that would have accompanied this notion that he had such a horribly inaccurate report that really turned this thing into a curiosity or from a curiosity into a major scandal. Once that got out there, that's when the calls came for the Ted Wells investigation. The NFL knew what they were doing. They picked somebody who would be trusted and respected. He pushed this thing to a higher level and off it went. And he should have been upset. He should have been angry. He should have outed his source at that point. When you get lied to that blatantly, I think all bets are off. But he didn't. He kept a stiff upper lip and absorbed all the criticism, and I think that the league office is forever indebted to him for doing that. And I don't know how many scoops that gets you beyond the first one, where they lied to you, but I think that's what he did. So I don't know. Is this, I, don't, I, don't, I, don't know I don't know why he thinks I'm not a good person, although I'm trying to find that that very small donut hole where I'm also not a bad person. I'm just a person. Mark Leibovich and I have had that conversation. And I don't know if I've ever said to Leibovich, like, why didn't you just contact me for a response? And maybe, maybe my response would be, well, you should check back with Mortensen and check his bias regarding the fact that I was merciless in criticizing him for putting that information out there when it was clearly and ultimately incorrect. Next question. PFTPM Posse. Between Chris Sims and Big Cat, let's throw Peter King in here too for shits and giggles. Who's most likely to slip and say a word phrase on the air that's not FCC approved? Well, Peter King has done it. Now, it wasn't during an FCC regulated broadcast. It was during to a, uh, during a Dan Patrick TV only look in where he referred to someone, and I think he was talking about John Gruden at the time as being effing nutty. 
And Sims has done the same thing a couple of times with Dan Patrick, where he's dropped an F-bomb during the TV-only edition of the program. And see, for cable TV, FCC regulations don't apply. It only applies to over-the-air, three-letter networks, and over-the-air terrestrial radio. Everything else, it's fair game. So between the three of them, Sims would probably be the most likely, but he's done all right the past couple of years. He can navigate fairly well when he knows what he can and can't say. So I hope we haven't jinxed the show. Now watch, it'll be me. I'll be the one who says it. Now it's going to be in my head. Thanks a lot, PFTP and Posse. I like you better when you're just answering questions. Another one from PFTP and Posse. Actually, it's via PFTP and Posse. The question comes from John McCary or John M. Carey. If you were in charge of scheduling and had no restrictions like with other events booked at stadiums and whatnot, where would you place division games? John would put them towards the middle and end because teams are more themselves then. Well, you know, they do the thing now where the last week of the season is always divisional games. And for a lot of teams, the last two weeks of the seasons are divisional games. I don't know what I would do. I I don't know that I would have a standard formula for when I would want to play the divisional games. Sometimes it's exciting to have it right out of the gates. Sometimes it's exciting to hold it until the end. I, I I wouldn't care. I would want to mix it up. I would want to make it interesting. What I don't like is playing a team twice two weeks apart. And I think the Browns and the Steelers do that this year where they play their two games on three Sundays. So 15 days apart, 14 days apart, they play each other twice. I'm not a big fan of that. Another question sent via the PFTPM posse, but from Gigi McDonald, did the Patriots find a loophole with Josh Gordon by putting him on IR for Sanu's roster spot, then releasing him after the trade deadline so he hits waivers and isn't likely to make it to a contender? So whoever claims his contract on waivers gives the Pats a million dollars plus or minus in cap space. Well, yeah, here's the thing. Now, I I don't know for sure whether or not Josh Gordon counts as a vested veteran. I think he does, even though he's not eligible for unrestricted free agency. I think he's played long enough to be a vested veteran, so he would be he would be subject to termination pay if he would be cut before the trade deadline or if he clears waivers afterward. But but whether it's Michael Bennett or Josh Gordon, I'm a firm believer that the Patriots were deliberately dragging their feet on parting ways with these players until, as in Bennett's case, they could trade him to an NFC team. And for Gordon, I think he gets released after the trade deadline so that he's subject to waivers and they don't have to worry about Josh Gordon landing with the Chiefs or the Ravens or the Texans or the Colts or the Bills. I just think they'd rather not have to deal with that. The knowledge of the playbook, the knowledge of the systems, and also the motivated former player who could maybe be a problem when the postseason rolls around. PFTP and Posse, I get kind of tired of all the quarterback talk. I get it, though. So who are the non-quarterback MVPs so far this season? Dalvin Cook, who I struggle with whether or not he's more of a candidate than Kirk Cousins because I think it's the presence of Dalvin Cook that has allowed Kirk Cousins to play the way that he is. So many of those big throws are coming off of play action or just the threat of Dalvin Cook. Guys are getting wide open because you can't afford to double Stephon Diggs and Adam Thielen, one or the other, 
and take resources away from trying to clog up the second level and get to Dow and Cook before he gashes you for 15 or 20 yards or otherwise breaks free. So I'd say Dalvin Cook, Christian McCaffrey, who at one point was on pace to set the single season yards from scrimmage record, but is a little bit off that now, but one big game and he'll be back on pace. Michael Thomas, the Saints receiver. You know, no receivers ever won the MVP award, but I think the reason that is whenever a receiver's had a tremendous season, it's the quarterback who gets the MVP votes. The guy who's throwing the ball gets the votes over the guy who's catching the ball. This year, the fact that Drew Brees has missed five games, and even if he plays the rest of the games, he's not going to generate the kind of numbers, the kind of performance that would get him the MVP award, so Michael Thomas would get some consideration. Those are the three that I would point to. There's no defensive player who's having a kind of dominant performance for a high-level contender that would crash the party. Remember when J.J. Watt was in the conversation, and they also got him some reps at tight end so he could have some stats, have some touchdowns, get the attention of the voters. So I'd say Cook, McCaffrey, and Michael Thomas, not necessarily in that order, but those are the three non-quarterbacks I'd look at. Brandon Dietz is making the argument for Quentin Nelson. Or just pointing out that he's the best offensive lineman currently. How far away is he from being one of, if not the greatest interior offensive lineman ever? I think you need to have a little more of a body of work, but everything the guy does is incredible, and let's see if he has the durability. PFTPM Posse. I don't know whether I like these questions that require me to peel back the curtain, because I never want to say anything I shouldn't say. There has to be a certain degree of discretion. But here's the question. How exactly did Barstool Big Cat start appearing on PFT Live on Fridays? We know the link between you and PFT Comment. How did that involve into Big Cat appearing? And can we get him on PFTPM for an unfiltered conversation between you all? And maybe he'll join the PFTPM Posse. I wouldn't hold my breath about that. But I, I, I mean, I like both of those guys. They've got the most popular sports podcast around, and we've had both of them on before. I just thought that in the interest of variety, and I just think that from the standpoint of Big Cat, and it's not like I sat down and said, well, let's pick one or the other. Which one should we pick? Let's pick Big Cat instead of PFT Commoner. It just kind of evolved that Big Cat would be just it was a visceral he'd be the guy we'd like to add one day a week and we've had both of them on before and i've had pft commenter on the podcast i just think that there's i i don't know i don't know it just kind of happened that way it's just kind of the way it happened and for a while it looked like it wasn't going to happen and then it looked like it was going to happen and then it looked like it wasn't going to happen and then all of a sudden it started happening on fridays and we just did it a few times and it worked and we just keep doing it Gears of Ted points out that he'd like to have a show with Big Cat, Sims, Peter King, and me all at once. That would be one heck of a four-man weave. Fittis and Kane, what teams do you feel are most likely to go from buyer to seller and vice versa at the trade deadline based on what happens this weekend? That's a good question. I think the Broncos, if they lose to the Colts, I think the Broncos suddenly become a seller. And if the Eagles beat the Bills, maybe the Eagles make a phone call about getting Vaughn Miller. I think somebody should call to try to get Vaughn Miller. Wouldn't that be the move to make? I'd give up two late first-round picks for Vaughn Miller, and I think Vaughn Miller would love to get over the wall and escape. Now, he's saying all the right things because he's still a Bronco, and he's salty about Emmanuel Sanders wanting out, but I think if Vaughn Miller had the opportunity to leave, he'd pounce on it. 
So the Broncos are in that category of teams that could go straight to being sellers. The Giants could be selling like crazy. You know, if the Eagles lose to the Bills, I don't know. Do they start thinking about selling off assets? I don't know. I think that they would be too stubborn to do that. You know, some of these teams that were supposed to be good are not going to be inclined to slide into fire sale mode. The Browns, for example, if they'd lose and fall to two and five, they're still in buyer mode. They're trying to get a left tackle. They want to get Trent Williams from Washington. There was rumor this week linking them to Nate Solder of the Giants. The Bears, if they lose and fall to three and four, does that make them sellers? I don't think so. The high-level contenders need to be thinking about what's out there, and they need to think about what they want to give up to improve. And I don't know how many deals are going to be done, right? Maybe all the deals that are going to be done have already been done. Captain Craptastic. Why aren't there any real-time oversight to refereeing? I don't know what you mean by real-time. I mean, what are they going to do? They're going to pull them off the field during the game? They get graded every week. And there is a vehicle for firing suspending, otherwise punishing, not in real time, but in a given week, an official who doesn't do his or her job properly. But I don't know what you can do during a game. I think once the game starts, you're kind of stuck with the official. Tyler Finesse, with the Chiefs being out like six starters for Sunday, did they intentionally sit players to get them right and essentially concede the game because Mahomes was hurt? I doubt it. I doubt it. The guys are injured. They're injured. You're going to try to win. You could win the game without Patrick Mahomes. Look at what they did after Mahomes exited that Thursday night game. Frank Chavaway, do you think adding Michael Bennett to the Cowboys is a good move? I think if you do it with the understanding that he's expected to act a certain way, and if he doesn't, they're going to move on from him, so be it. And we've seen the Cowboys be more lenient when it comes to what they'll tolerate with a player who may be a little bit... I don't know what the right word is. Individualistic. Something happened with the Patriots to cause them to fall out of favor with him. He's had issues, nothing significant, but enough issues that there's just something strange about Michael Bennett. And when he's a great player, when he's getting it done at a high level, it doesn't matter. You look the other way. But when the play starts to dip, the question becomes how much of that kind of unpredictability do you want to put up with? The comment that I wrote about today in response to Jerry Jones claiming there's nothing negative about Michael Bennett. His remarks about Matthew Stafford from four years ago, the Lions quarterback. He doesn't like Matthew Stafford because Stafford's from Dallas and Dallas killed JFK. Welcome to Dallas, Michael Bennett. Dean Osborne, 42, with how good the Patriots defense looks this season. Was Matt Patricia overrated when in New England? I don't know that there's a correlation because he's been gone for a year and a half now. They've had two cycles of draft and free agency moves and other acquisitions. It's too early to tell what kind of a coach Matt Patricia is going to be because he's engaged in a fundamental overhaul of the culture in Detroit. And it's been a bad culture for 60 years. And when you have that baked in, people in the organization are going to be resistant to accountability. They don't think accountability is necessary and they like their very safe and cushy jobs. And whether it's on the roster or off the roster, it takes a long time to get the organization to where it needs to be. You can't go in and fire all the players. You can't fire the players who need to be fired. You have to deal with it and it takes a few years to get the guys that you think are going to make a difference.
Dean Osborne, 42, which team will be the biggest frauds in the end? The Packers, the Vikings, the 49ers. It's easy, the Vikings. At some point, it'll be the Vikings. Something spectacular. Six and two doesn't mean they're getting in the playoffs. All it means is their worst possible record is going to be six and ten. That's all it means. They go four and four down the stretch. They get in ten and six. They have to go on the road to Green Bay or Dallas to open the playoffs. I've said all along the best case scenario for the Vikings is getting in as a wild card and losing in the wild card round. Is that really something to celebrate? Dean Osborne, 42. Why is Dan Snyder seemingly satisfied with fielding an awful product every year? How can he and Bruce Allen, for that matter, not be embarrassed and unhappy about the state of the team and fan displeasure? Well, you know, part of it is they make a ton of money. And some organizations determine success and failure just based on whether or not they make money. And NFL franchises are printing money. And also... I tend to think that human nature won't allow Dan Snyder and Bruce Allen to acknowledge that they're the problem. Their position may be, we're fine, it's just others around us or circumstances or whatever the case may be that are causing these issues. That's entirely possible. But I doubt there's a whole lot of self-awareness when you're talking about billionaires and those who serve as the right-hand man for billionaires. Thomas McCoskey, how have the Packers avoided going to London? Well, a couple of things. First, you're never going to see a Packers home game sacrificed for London. That won't happen. There are five, six, seven teams where you're never going to see them give up a home game. And that's why 17 games make sense, because then every team plays a neutral site game. And here's the other side of this, too. Not only do you have a team giving up a home game, You also have the road team in that game having one fewer true road game. Every team would love to swap a road game for a neutral site game. So you've got got teams like the Steelers, the Patriots, the Cowboys, the Packers. Those are four teams right off the top that you would never see give up a home game. The Seahawks would never give up a home game. For some of the teams, it's very lucrative to give up the home game. You make more money with a full stadium in London than you do with the smattering of fans who are showing up in Atlanta or the Bengals. I know the Bengals are playing a road game in London against the Rams, but the teams that can't fill a stadium are the ones who would be very likely and happy to swap a home game with 50% capacity for a road game in London where it's going to be full and you're going to make a ton of money. The Packers want to go to London, and maybe next year it happens. The other reason that they've avoided it, think about this. Well, you know, one of the years the Vikings, didn't the Vikings have a home game in London? They played the Steelers in London. The Vikings should have had more than one home game in London, really. They should have had a home game in London every year that they were playing at TCF Bank Stadium. Why not? That's what, isn't that what the Rams have done? Haven't they played in London? Like every year they were going to, you know, they were in London in 2017. They were going to be in Mexico City last year, but the field happened. And then they're back in London this year. I think 17 games is the most fair way to deal with this issue. And then you have a full complement of games. You could play eight games in London every year. They have this simulation of a home team. Eight games. That's what everybody else gets. Eight games. And then you have eight games you can play in other places. 
James McDonough, a.k.a. Dr. J144. How could we prevent tanking and irrelevant late-season games by forcing players and coaches to bet? Or could we prevent? Let me try that again. Could we prevent tanking and irrelevant late-season games by forcing players and coaches to bet 1% to 2% of their game checks every game on money line bets for their teams? Good luck to Miami finding free agents who would waste 1% to 2% every game on a team that doesn't want to win. Now, look, I think the other way to do that is to do what the XFL is doing, where you have part of your salary tied to winning games. But ultimately, it's not about what the players are trying to do. It's not the players giving up. It's ownership and the front office saying, we want to evaluate younger players. That's how you pull off the tank. And for some guys late in the year, you know what? If you're making business decisions because you're going to be a free agent after the season, 1% to 2% of your game check isn't going to matter. F.S. Barnes, 22. Why doesn't football use a buzzer on the play clock the same as basketball does with the shot clock? Basketball plays through the buzzer all the time. It seems more often quarterbacks have an extra second before the flag gets thrown. Refs would just need to watch the ball and listen. Yeah, I, I understand your point, but the way this works mechanically, you get that extra second or an extra beat when the play clock goes to zero because they have to notice it's gone to zero. They have to grab the flag, blow the whistle, and kill the play, and that's just part of the overall procedure it's baked in it's very inexact but it's baked in and you'll see that play clock go to zero all the time and then the ball gets snapped and if it gets snapped quickly enough after zero it's no foul kyle thomas do the chargers need to consider playing for the best draft pick possible so they can get a legitimate replacement for philip rivers well yeah so you're saying they should they consider tanking i don't know if they need to try to tank i think the tank is happening organically for the chargers Gears of Ted was Pete Prisco right about the Packers at the beginning of the year. They're going to win the Super Bowl. Well, I, I, I don't like putting a team at number one in the power rankings and saying this is my Super Bowl champion. Go ahead and predict them to win the Super Bowl, but they weren't number one going into the season. So if, hey, he may be right about his prediction that the Patriots are going to win the Super Bowl, but who would put the Packers, or the Packers rather, who would put the Packers at number one right now? The Patriots are the number one team. Clearly, they're the number one team in the NFL. Their defense is already being compared to the 85 Bears. Maz wants to know which team with a winning record will end the year with a losing record. Well, you know what, Maz? To do this properly, I'm going to have to buy some time here. I'm going to have to filibuster while I pull up NFL.com and then the page loads and we see standings. Come on, there's something something weird about NFL.com and... and, uh, this Safari that I use. Should I use a different browser? I'm too lazy to use a different browser. I used Firefox for a while, and I didn't like it. Here we go. I think I got it. Come on, standings. Where are standings? Here we go. Standings. Help me out here, standings. Standings. Let's look at the standings. All right. Uh, Team with a winning record that is likely to finish with a losing record. I'm contemplating this here. The Texans at four and three. That's kind of cheating because they're they're barely in position to have a winning record. I would say the Carolina Panthers. I know they've won four in a row. I'd say of all the teams currently above above 500, I would say the Panthers would be the the, the most likely to finish with a losing record. They played the Saints twice still. And we saw what happened last year when they fell apart. Now, that was driven in large part by the Cam Newton injury, but still, they did fall apart down the stretch last year, and surely they haven't forgotten that. 
So the Panthers at four and two, and I think they're going to fall to four and three this weekend. They would be number one. Number two would be the Texans at four and three. And uh, I don't know that there's a number three. I, you know, I'm sure that you know the, the Vikings, if the wheels start to come off and they lose the next two, I mean, think about it. They could be six and six quickly. Lose to the Chiefs, lose to the Cowboys, take the Broncos for granted, lose there, bye week, lose at Seattle. All of a sudden, six and ten becomes six and six. It can happen quickly. Richard Eyde, what are your thoughts on getting Baker Mayfield some help in the form of a mentor? How about a trade involving, but not necessarily limited to, Nick Foles for OBJ? Nick, I, I think the Jaguars would take a cap hit that they really wouldn't want to take for Nick Foles if they moved him now because of the guaranteed money, the signing bonus specifically, and they're already carrying a bunch of dead money for Blake Bortles. Yeah, I don't know. Nick Foles for OBJ, you'd have to give up more than Nick Foles if you're the Jaguars, and I don't know if the Jaguars would want OBJ. I think OBJ wants to play for the Patriots. If you haven't done it, go listen to the 13-minute press conference from OBJ on Wednesday. And he's clueless as to how he comes off, I think. I don't think he was deliberately coming off this way. But if I'm Freddie Kitchens, the coach of the Browns, if I'm Baker Mayfield, the starting quarterback, if I'm John Dorsey, the GM, if I'm anybody in the organization, and I hear that, I'm thinking, this guy just doesn't want to be here. He wanted to go to the Patriots. And he still wants to go to the Patriots. And I don't know that there was any element of passive aggression to it because I think he was just clueless to the implication of what he was saying but it sure as hell came off to me like he wants to go to the Patriots and once he realizes the Browns are not going to morph into the Patriots that's when he's going to want to go to the Patriots Thomas McCoskey do you see teams making cuts for compensatory picks I think some already have there's a rule requiring the team to have the guy for a certain period of time and if you don't have that free agent you signed if you cut him then it's like you never signed him for the purposes of determining whether or not you get compensatory picks that formula is far too confusing for me to understand so i don't even know if the window's come and gone at some point the window closes rick ain't here what's more likely what's more likely tom brady wins Super Bowl with another team before he retires or the Patriots win one without him. I think it's more likely the Patriots win one without him. And this, hey, look, I'm never one to turn up my nose at a good hot take. And this whole notion from Shefty that Tom Brady staying with the Patriots next year is the least likely of the three broad options. One, he plays for another team. Two, he retires. Three, he plays for the Patriots. Schefter's pushing this idea that He's more likely to play for another team next year than he is to play for the Patriots next year. I just don't buy it. And I think Shefty's doing a little favor for Don Yee, Tom Brady's agent, trying to build some buzz now. Make sure everybody, as they are making their plans for free agency, draft, et cetera, at quarterback in 2020, that they're factoring in the possible availability of Tom Brady. And if I'm a team out there that needs a quarterback and also likes money and all the teams out there like money, I am doing the math internally on how much money he brings to the team. Jersey sales, other merchandise, attendance, ticket sales. Tom Brady is the man. He still has the highest selling jersey in the NFL. And just think about it. People are still buying in droves the same jersey he's had for 20 years. Now, you go to a new team, new jersey. How many people are going to buy the new Tom Brady jersey if that happens? So I'm fascinated by the possibility but even then, I think it's more likely 
he ends up not winning a Super Bowl with another team than it would be the Patriots winning a Super Bowl without him. The Patriots have the machine in place. And I think Bill Belichick, wouldn't it be great to see it play out? Let's see how this alternate universe plays out. Bill Belichick without Tom Brady and Tom Brady without Bill Belichick. And the two teams I identified this week as the most likely would be the Saints and the 49ers. And wouldn't the 49ers just be beautiful if that happened? They have the flexibility to move on from Jimmy Garoppolo. Garoppolo isn't exactly playing great this year. That would be something. GB Soccer 6. Mike, I'm curation about your thoughts on the debacle by the Astros front office over the past week. And then GB Soccer Soccer 6 did correct curation to curious. I don't have any thoughts about it because I don't know enough about it. Sounds like the guy was being an asshole and he got the consequences that assholes should get. That's my... That's my brief, almost completely uneducated view on the matter. Maz wants to know what record would the Colts have with Andrew Luck? Maybe four and two. You have to make Frank Reich a coach of the year candidate for turning this team around as quickly as he did, getting their minds back on track. Very impressive. Skull Vikings 407, I think it's time for you to admit that if CMC, that's Christian McCaffrey, is an MVP candidate, then put Dalvin Cook on the list as well. Once the Vikings go up big, they put him and Alexander Madison in the game. Admit it, Mike. Look, we've been talking about it all week, Joe Black. Hey, Joe Black. I've acknowledged it. I've written about it. I had a lengthy list of MVP candidates, and I wrote about Dalvin Cook, and I'll tell you what I said. Joe, apparently, Joe, you don't read the site. I appreciate you listening to the podcast. You need to read the website. And as I filibuster to fill time, because the browser is loading slowly, here is the item that I posted Monday. The MVP race remains wide open. And what I said about Dalvin Cook, currently the leading rusher. Cook is averaging 103.5 yards per game and 5.5 yards per carry. He has also given new life to the Vikings' play-action passing attack. The problem for Cook's MVP candidacy is that Kirk Cousins gets the statistical benefit of the threat Cook's brings to the field or cook brings to the field at best he'd chew into votes that otherwise would go to cousins but you know the more i've thought about it and look how much value comes from cook how much of kirk cousins performance can be attributed to the presence of cook so i think cook does need to be factored into this but but you just need to have almost historic numbers or or close to something that that has either never been done before or has rarely been done to get to the point where a running back, a non-quarterback, is going to be seriously considered for the MVP. It's been seven years, I think, since a running back won it. It was the year that Adrian Peterson almost set the single-season rushing record. He nudged out Peyton Manning that season. It's just hard to do as a running back, especially in this age of not really using running backs as much as they've been used. But this year, we've seen a lot of Christian McCaffrey We've seen a lot of Dalvin Cook, and we'll see a lot more of both guys. And, you know, they got to stay healthy, too, to remain in the mix for MVP. But it really has become a quarterback award. It's going to be one of the quarterbacks from one of the teams that earn one of the top two seeds in the NFC or the AFC. I just think that's the way it's going to play out. All right, next up. Where are we? Scrolling. Wait a minute. Oh, I was confused because the next question from Tyler Tice is the flip side of the question regarding teams that are above 500 that are likely to 
finish with losing records. This question is which teams that are currently under 500 are most likely to go on a run and make it to the playoffs. Looking at the standings again, these are teams under 500. Not at 500, but under 500. I still have faith in the Lions, although it's got to be hard. It's got to be demoralizing to lose three straight games you could have, arguably should have won. The Cardinals aren't under 500, 3-3-1, equates to 500. The Eagles could get hot at 3-4. and four. I think they'll beat the Bills this weekend. The schedule gets very difficult, though, so I don't feel very strongly that they're going to make it. Jaguars or the Titans, one of those two teams currently under 500. They could win an AFC South that could end up being extremely wide open. It's still fairly wide open right now. So I think that the teams that I would look at, The Jaguars or the Titans, more likely the Jaguars than the Titans because I think the Jaguars have better quarterback play, and I would not rule out the Steelers at 2-4. and I really wouldn't. The Steelers have that quality where they can dig deep and make things happen, and we'll see them win another primetime game. They're 2-0 in primetime this year. Of course, it helps when you're playing bad teams like the Chargers and the Bengals, but they get the Dolphins. And there's just something about... There's something about that organization... When you write them off, they find a way to dig out one shovelful at a time. Josh Ramos, per PFTPM positive, what degree can the problems currently plaguing the Eagles be traced to the leadership vacuum created by Nick Foles' departure this past offseason? Well, you know what? There were comments from Malcolm Jenkins about what's gone wrong with this team, and he talked about the defensive line not getting home, but he also mentioned the whole Nick Foles angle. I remember saying last year that I think the Eagles are a better team with Nick Foles, even though Carson Wentz is a better quarterback. And maybe that's in Wentz's head. I don't know. I thought maybe they should seriously... Oh, not that maybe they should. I thought they should seriously consider keeping Nick Foles. But they had so much tied up in trading up to get Carson Wentz. And they have so much faith in what he can become. But based on what we've seen from him so far this year, he's not becoming the guy that we thought he was going to be. Question from Kyle Thomas is Mohamed Sanu pickup for the Patriots. Does that have the potential for him to be a scout quarterback too? He's athletic and can throw fairly well, similar to Jackson Mahomes, who Pats will face at least once the rest of the way. That's an intriguing thought. Could Mohamed Sanu be the scout team quarterback the week that the Patriots are preparing for Lamar Jackson? See, the problem is that takes away from Sanu's preparation. And that was one of the things they really liked about Brian Hoyer. Brian Hoyer did a great job for them simulating the opposing team's quarterbacks. They've got Jared Stidham, who will have that task now. And I presume that that's what they'll do. I think they're going to be more determined and focused on making sure Mohamed Sanu is ready to pitch in whenever and wherever he can. But that would be the ultimate double duty. Patriots aren't bashful about using offensive guys on defense, defensive guys on offense. How about a receiver that you're trying to get properly situated as a contributor to your team, and you also have him run the scout team that week at quarterback? Kyle Thomas, what are some of the biggest needs for potential playoff teams? One that comes to mind is tight end for Seattle. They've struggled since Will Disley went down. Yeah, look, I'd I'd have to sit down and really think it through. We'll find out based upon trades that are made or aren't made. It's just there's not a lot of free agents out there to help at these positions, and there's a reason those guys are currently free agents. So the trade deadline is coming in only four days, and we'll see what other moves get made. 
Here's of Ted. Road Thursday night football teams are now 0-7 in their home Sunday games prior to that. Is this a trend or just a coincidence? Does this sway your belief of the outcome of Carolina at San Francisco at all since San Francisco is at Arizona next Thursday? It, it doesn't. It does not. I think it's a coincidence. I mean, the best argument you could make is a team that is looking at a short week gets distracted by the short week. Surely the coaching staff and the organization aren't deliberately going easier on them because they know they have the Thursday night game coming. The goal is to win the game that's in front of you. So I don't buy it. I don't buy it. I'd be stunned if the Cardinals beat the 49ers. And if the Cardinals do beat the 49ers, I'm not going to say, well, there goes the, the road team losing the prior Sunday. That's how it works. What would it be? It would be the Panthers beating. That's what it would be. It would be the Panthers beating the 49ers. Never mind. If the Panthers beat the 49ers, I'm not going to say that the 49ers are distracted by the looming trip to Arizona. Finally got it right. Took a few tries. Finally got it right. Gears of Ted, which team has been the biggest disappointment so far this season? Well, for me, it's the Eagles. I had the Eagles going to the Super Bowl to play the Patriots. The Eagles are 3-4 and four right now. And their schedule does get very difficult. They have to beat the Bills. They have the Bills and the Bears. And after that, they have bye week and visits from the Patriots and the Seahawks. They can still turn it around. We wrote them off last year, late in the regular season. We wrote them off entering the preseason two years ago. Anytime you write the Eagles off, that's when they become dangerous. But to me, that's been the biggest disappointment in the NFC. In the AFC, the biggest disappointment, probably the Jaguars. I thought they would be much better. Quarterback injury may have been a factor. Steelers have been a bigger, a big disappointment. I thought they would be better. The Jets, I thought, would be better than 1-5. I thought between the Jets and the Bills, one of them would be a potential playoff contender, and I'm stunned that the Bills are 5-1 and one and the Jets are 1-5. and five. Kyle Thomas, does the fact that four out of five Seahawks wins are by four or less points concern you? Can they metaphorically keep flipping the coin and have it come up heads? Oh, you know, there's something to be said for having a winning culture and knowing how to win close games, but your luck can run out. I'm more concerned by the fact that they've lost at home twice and really could have slash should have lost at home three times in the first half of the season because they should have lost to the Rams. Gigi McDonough asks if Josh Gordon is waived when healthy after the trade deadline, which teams do you think would be interested in him? I, you know, I, I mean, it's, it's any team that is thinking about the future at the receiver position, any team that is interested in evaluating a guy who has been very, very good in his second year in the NFL playing in only 14 games, he generated more receiving yardage than Terrell Owens or Randy Moss ever did in a season during their careers. I think it's worth bringing him in to evaluate him. And, you know, these teams that are trying to figure out what they're going to do in 2020, you get an opportunity to evaluate him and you get exclusive negotiating rights before he becomes a free agent. So I think it's probably easier to list the teams that wouldn't be interested. The Browns wouldn't be interested. The Patriots wouldn't be interested. Beyond that, I think taking a flyer on Josh Gordon makes a lot of sense because he's incredibly talented. Now, I would also want to know what his current status is under the substance abuse program. I would want to know if he's facing another suspension. There's been that that murmur, which is a natural thing to do. It's a thought that you're going to have, given his history. If the Patriots all of a sudden are done with him, maybe the Patriots have decided that or realized that he may be in some sort of jeopardy for another suspension. Leapers 500, what's the best strategy for the Broncos going forward and then in the offseason? Has Vic Fangio done anything to foster faith? I wouldn't fire Vic Fangio after one year. Look, I think what needs to happen is they need to figure out who the hell is going to own the team. 
this three-person group of trustees is not conducive to a properly functioning organization. And these three trustees are eventually going to pick one of Pat Boland's seven children, this bizarre intra-family Willy Wonka competition. Brittany Boland is the one who is expected to get it. I don't know how many I's need to be dotted and T's need to be crossed before they can give it to her, but they just need to get it over with. They need to pick an owner and they need to move on. Or they just need to sell the team. You know, my understanding is that that's one of the options, that if none of the seven kids ever gets to the point where they believe that the child is, or any of the children will be suited to run the franchise the way the Pat Bowling would like it to be run, the franchise can just be sold. I don't think that's going to happen, but that's a possibility. But at some point, they just have to figure it out. Leapers 500, what's been most important to the 49ers' terrific season? Shanahan, the defense, Jimmy G. Not Jimmy G. Not Jimmy G. I think he's been one of the, the least impactful reasons for the season. The defense has been phenomenal. they got a bunch of defensive players who, who play like John Lynch did. And the running game, the design of the running game, the things that Kyle Shanahan does to come up with the running plays that work effectively all the time. It's amazing. And the fact that they've been able to keep winning even with both tackles out. Now, Joe Staley may be coming, uh, coming back, but they didn't have Mike McGlinchey. Remember, they had the guy with AAF experience who was the right tackle against the Rams? They haven't had Kyle Juszczyk, and they still keep rolling. It's, a, it's amazing. Now, their schedule is going to get more difficult. We'll see what happens when they start playing some tougher games. Gigi McDonald has another question. Any thoughts or hunches on what's going on with John Dorsey telling players they're benched versus the head coach doing it? I don't know. I think John Dorsey runs the show there. And I think the selection of Freddie Kitchens to be the head coach was driven at least in part by John Dorsey wanting to retain his influence. I mean, the GM tells guys when they're cut. So, I don't know. Maybe the GM tells... Does the GM... Sometimes the GM does, sometimes the coach does. I don't know. I don't know. It is kind of weird. You would think that the head coach would be the one who communicates to players that they've been benched. That that's a job for the head coach. Unless the head coach just feels so overwhelmed, he's happy to hand off something unpleasant to a guy like John Dorsey. But it's not like the coach can run from the player. It's, it's, a, it's, a, weird, it's a weird look. If that's what happened, it's a weird look. I hadn't seen that that happened, but it's a weird look. Gears of Ted. Should the trade deadline be moved back in baseball? It's about 100 games in, which would be equivalent to week 10 in the NFL. Waiver trade deadline is 130 games in, equivalent to week 13. Is that too late? Is week 8 too early? I don't think there should be a trade deadline. I think that the rosters lock at the end of the regular season, and at that point, you can't trade players once you're done playing. Whenever your season's over, no trades. But I think that teams should be allowed to engage in transactions if they want to. And if somebody wants to give up draft picks or other valuable consideration to get a player aimed at helping them late in the year, so be it. Because we know how hard it is to try to try to put that that new player in position to be effective right away. And wouldn't you want that? If Tom Brady goes down week 15, wouldn't you want the Patriots to be able to trade for somebody else who may be available to come in, a quarterback in the last year of his contract? It would create, I think, more intrigue, more interest. Is it fair? Well, everybody can do it. What's not fair about it? Everybody can do it. And you do run the risk that if you make that trade, you're, you're going to get a guy that isn't going to be able to pick things up quickly and help you on the fly. Another question from Gigi McDonald. What do you make of the Coleccio Simile situation and the Jets calling his absence today unexcused? It's so bizarre. There has to be more to this story. 
Look, I, I think that it's more likely between the two options. Here are the two options. One, the Jets are being ridiculously reckless and tone deaf about this atmosphere of player safety where they are trying to force a player who needs surgery to play. That's one explanation. The other explanation is the player is taking, taking advantage of this climate of player safety to tap out, to get his surgery, and get himself healed before he would become a free agent in March instead of waiting until after the season, fighting through it, and getting surgery and rehabbing on his own time and having less interest when the money flows in the early days of free agency. And I guess I can understand why the player would be doing it, but I think it's more likely that's what's going on. Because the Jets would have to be worse than Washington dysfunctional to draw a line in the sand with a player who claims that he needs surgery and can't play. And I think the medical evidence is ultimately what's going to control here. I saw that, that Osama got a third opinion. There's no device I'm aware of in the current CBA to get a third opinion. It used to be the team opinion was a first opinion, the player had a right to a second opinion, and if the two opinions conflicted, there was a, an a, 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 a mechanism, mechanism, I knew I'd eventually get there, a mechanism for getting basically a tiebreaker opinion. My understanding is Osemele got a second opinion that wasn't nearly as definitive and clear as it needed to be. And this all comes down to how much pain should he be required to tolerate and when does he actually, quote unquote, need surgery. It's just a weird situation all around. But I think from the team's perspective, the belief is this guy's trying to tap out and get the shoulder fixed now and not gutting it out and being available to the team and getting his shoulder fixed later. All ETM was the 49ers move for Emmanuel Sanders more about going all in on this season or getting to the playoffs, as Kyle Shanahan puts it, and avoiding an almost certain month on hard knocks if they don't make it. I, I, I look... It's definitely not about next year because you're not signed beyond this season. This is about addressing a weakness in a potential championship caliber team. And that was a weakness they had. And Kyle Shanahan said he's been eyeing Emmanuel Sanders for eight years. And now he has a chance to move forward for the balance of the season with Sanders on the roster. Theo and Riley, now that Mohamed Sanu and Julian Edelman are teammates, do you think a receiver could achieve the double-triple? It's going to take a lot to do the double-triple. Thank you for acknowledging the MDS stat. The double-triple, something that is rarely achieved, even though you would think that it happens more often, to get more than 100 yards in two different statistical categories is extremely rare. The all-time leader is Mike Vick with eight. There's a four- or five-way tie at number four. Lamar Jackson already has four games in his career of more than 100 yards passing, more than 100 yards rushing. The idea of 100 yards passing and 100 yards receiving for a receiver I think that's highly unlikely. Raiders sinister between Washington and Cincinnati. Which organization is worse? They both seem like places people choose when they have no alternatives. I think Washington is worse. Because I think I think the folks running the Bengals ultimately mean well. They just don't quite know what to do all the time. They don't have the right systems in place. They don't spend the money necessary to be as good of a football operation as they can be. And I don't think they want to be. I don't think Mike Brown wants to spend a lot of money. For him, I think profit is the most important indicator of success, not competing for and or winning a championship. Washington, it just seems like there's a whiff of something more deliberate 
and I don't want to say sinister is malicious, the better term. I just think sometimes like scores are settled. They're not making dumb decisions. They're just making bad decisions deliberately to advance an agenda other than putting the team in the best position to win. Pembroke Raider, if the season goes to 17 games, is the current thinking that they are all neutral site games. They'd have to be. You're not going to give somebody nine home games. You can't do that. You have to do 16 neutral site games. Eight in London and eight elsewhere. And I wouldn't rule out playing some in the United States in at uh, the Big House or at uh, Penn State or you know other college stadiums. I think that would be fascinating. You'd have to have the technology in place, though, to do the real-time replay review. That's one of the impediments to playing these games in different stadiums. But I, I think that the money involved makes it worth spending the cash necessary to facilitate that process. Pembroke Raider will can be a Panther next year. I think there's a good chance he's not. There's a good chance he's not. There's been some talk about maybe he gets traded. I'd be stunned. Some Bears fans would like him. They'd like anybody but Mitchell Trubisky. I've said that this is an up or out year for Cam Newton. He's either going to get a new contract or he's going to be gone after this season. And you know, the thing about going with Kyle Allen, you don't worry about your quarterback getting injured anymore. With Cam Newton, you're constantly worried. Oh, 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 we got to be careful he's going to get injured. It's got to be great for Panthers fans to remove that, that concern from their, their load of stuff that they're worried about. Dal Dio, what's the trick to asking the perfect question in an interview? I don't know that there's any trick to it. I mean, first of all, you want to get to the point where all of the interviews are conversational and that you're not thinking, how does this sound? You're not thinking, will I get my words out without stepping all over myself? You're not thinking about anything other than what a good question would be and what you're interested in. You bring to the table, ideally, enough of an understanding of the person you're interviewing, some research or just some knowledge you carry around, news of the day, whatever the interesting subject would be. And you just have a conversation and you ask the question. And, and the goal is, I think, and you, know, you want to break the ice early. We had Greg Olson last week and I broke the ice too late talking about the controversy from a couple of years ago when he was calling a Vikings game a couple of weeks before the Panthers were playing the Vikings because he started laughing about that. And it's like, damn it, he's loose now and I'm out of time. I should have asked it first. I wasn't sure whether or not he's going to laugh about it or just get, you know, sometimes guys go into a show. You want to get them to be comfortable you want to get them to be conversational. And I here's the thing. I, I really don't want someone to say something that they're going to later regret. I don't want them to be so comfortable that they think it's dangerous to talk to me. And I don't want anyone to ever say that I've mischaracterized what they say. You know, a lot of times after games, I'll talk to two, well, every week I'll talk to two or three guys by phone and I'll, I'll take notes and I'll, I'll relay their quotes. I never want anyone to say I took anything they said out of context or or related improperly. But uh, you know, I, you try to strike that balance between providing information that the fans care about without playing gotcha. Because if you start playing gotcha, that's that whole GQ concept. You do a drive-by once a year with an NFL player. And he gets lured in to do it because he's going to be on the cover and he's going to have a photo shoot and then he gets relaxed and he's talking to somebody who isn't a sports reporter and you say something that gets used against you. And that's fine if you only aspire to interview one person a year and that's the only time you're ever going to talk to them. My preference would be to, you know, talk to these folks over and over again. 
A red zone out. Will the Bengals have more points than rushing yards at Wembley on Sunday? I don't know. More punts than anything else. I don't know. They're just bad. Rick ain't here. Do you agree with Golden Tate that if Stafford was on a better team, he'd have multiple rings by now? Yeah, I don't know. And I don't know how much of that to blame. Well, I just don't think he's ever been coached the way he's being coached now. He's never been forced to be the kind of leader that maybe he needs to be. I used to call him a reluctant leader. I remember when Reggie Bush was on the team and he thought the Lions needed a team meeting and Stafford said, now we're good. Well, Bush had been, you know, with a Super Bowl champion. All right. I I thought I was going to get to all these today. I got a few more. I got to get to my WIP in Philadelphia spot here. Let me just uh, rip through these last few. Skull Mitzel, who are some candidates to replace Pat Shermer in New York if he's fired? It's a little premature. Maybe Kevin Stefanski. Skull Mitzel, you're going to lose your offensive coordinator again to the Giants. Skull Mitzel, do the Vikings make a move at the deadline for any one specifically offensive line? I think they're fine with who they have. I think they're happy with who they have. And they came out of last night's game fairly clean, so I don't think there's any injury replacement they need. Black 88 Elite, where do you see the Bills finishing this year? Do you see them winning a playoff game? I could see, well, here's the problem. They're in the same division as the Patriots, so I see them being the five seed, and they're going to have to go play who? The Colts? I could see them win at Indianapolis or at Houston and then lose. Who knows? Who knows? Who knows? You know, the Bills could be that team that catches fire. They've got a great defense. It all comes down to what happens with Josh Allen and his development. Venet, Virginia, will we see less quarterbacks doing the Tom Brady sneak play in the future after the Holmes knee injury? Probably not. We saw Kirk Cousins try it last night. Last one, and then I got to go. Dr. J144, we were too harsh on Ben McAdoo, excluding his suit choice in New York in retrospect. He's the only coach who had a winning season there since 2001, been a bad franchise in recent years, and Shermer has been worse than McAdoo. I still think McAdoo was not suited for the job. That doesn't mean Shermer is. I just think they've done a bad job at hiring coaches since firing Tom Coughlin. Gotta go. Check us out all weekend long at profootballtalk.com. We'll have you updated on everything you need to know, and then Monday back at it with PFT Live with Chris Sims and everything else that we have going on. Enjoy the weekend. We will talk to you soon. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.